Winter Stone. I uh, think I've got it figured out how to beat the summer heat here in Arizona. It's called ice cream. And if you look underneath your seat right now and grab a spoon, the ushers will be bringing your favorite ice cream right down to you here in just a minute. Just a couple of you guys are actually looking. <laughs> we'll get to the ice cream here in, uh, in just a minute. Um, I would like to start, though, with a story. Um, uh, that's something that happened in the U.S. Navy some years ago. Any Navy guys or gals here in this room? Just curious. No, not a lot of Navy. Oh, one Navy guy, maybe two here in the, in the room. Yeah, there's not a lot of water in the desert, so not a lot of boats or ships here in, in Arizona. But my grandfather was actually in the Navy. My father was actually in the Navy. I'm the guy who kind of broke the trend in my family and did something else. And, uh, but, but stories out of the military have always really intrigued me, all the, the leadership and strategy and, and kind of the honor and those kind of things that you make movies out of has, have always really kind of intrigued me. And there's something that happened in the summer of 1942 I'd like to tell you about as we jump into this whole conversation. It, it happened on the East Coast, and it was called the Eastern Pearl Harbor. A lot of people don't know about this, but what had happened, we had just entered World War II, and we were sending uh, troops, we were sending supplies, we were sending all kinds of stuff to help support what was happening with the, with the war in Europe over to England. And uh, we were in a situation, there was the Navy, there was a whole disaster that they were facing. And the disaster was that there were millions and millions and millions of tons of shipping that were being sunk by German U-boats right off the coast of the East Coast, right outside of Philadelphia and Baltimore and New York. And it literally, guys, we're not talking about a couple of ships, we're talking about 524 ships over the course of six months that were, that were sunk. So this was a big, big deal. It got so bad that people would come from all over the East Coast and go to those port cities of Baltimore and Philly and New York, and they, they'd kind of go to those beaches at nighttime, and, and they'd watch for another fireball on the horizon. That was another, another ship going down that had been sunk by a German U-boat. And so the Navy, the U.S. Navy, went through this incredible period of, of soul-searching, and they did what every organization does when it comes to problem-solving and trying to lead into the future and, and overcome some stuff. They started going through the checklist that everybody goes through. The very first thing they looked at, they looked at their leader and said, do we have the right leader in place to lead us through this problem and this crisis? And they looked at their leader, Admiral King, and Admiral King was a great leader. There was nothing wrong with him. And so they went to the next thing on the list, which was, which was money. Are we throwing enough money at the problem? Is there an economic power issue here? And, and guys, this was the U.S. Navy. This was like the greatest navy on the seas. And this is the United States. We didn't have a money problem. And so they were looking at this saying, what, what do we do? What is, what is the solution to our problem? They started recognizing maybe there's a particular way that you fight anti-submarine warfare. Maybe, maybe you break a code over here because we had broken a lot of codes uh, from the Germans at this point in the war. And, and maybe, maybe you, you get some information about where the Germans are putting their U-boats over here. And, and maybe you spot a U-boat on the open seas and you kind of come up with a, kind of this triangulation kind of deal and kind of an estimate of where a U-boat's going to be at any certain time. And you can get that information to the captains on the seas and say you have this much of a percentage of, of running into a U-boat over the next couple of nautical miles. And, and maybe you capture a U-boat over here and, and you, and you and you interrogate their captain. And the Navy looked, and they were doing this over here, and they were doing this over here, and they were doing this over here, but there was no one that, taking all of that information and bringing it together. And so they instituted a, an organization called the 10th Fleet, and they put the 10th Fleet in place at the beginning of 1942. And the, pur the purpose of the 10th Fleet was to take intelligence, which is kind of an oxymoron with the military, and, and, and the 
operations and put them together underneath the same umbrella, underneath the same leadership. And that's what the tenth fleet was supposed to do. They were supposed to make sense of all of these different things, bring them together, and integrate them. And within weeks, within weeks of the tenth fleet being put in place, they turned the tide on the fight against the German U-boat, and the United States Navy was in charge of the seas well through the end of World War II. I tell you that story because of this. We're in the middle of this brand new teaching series we're calling Thread. And the big idea behind Thread is that God has uniquely wired you specifically for a particular purpose and for meaning and ministry. And as we have this conversation, we're going to talk about things like spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about things like heart and passion. We're going to talk about things like abilities. We're going to talk about things like personality. We're going to talk about whether you have a personality or not. The people that were just laughing, their spouses don't. And, and, and we're going to talk about things like experience. And we're going to talk about bringing all of those things together. And you're going to find when we bring those things together that it's in those moments that we find meaning. It's in those moments that we find purpose. It's in those moments that we begin to not just come to church but be the church to one another and actually advance the ball for the gospel kind of down the field. And the unique thing is this, is when we do this together as a church, not just as individuals, there's opportunity for great synergy, momentum, power, and influence. You see, one of the greatest misconceptions of people that come to a large church like Cornerstone is this. So you walk in here and out of here and you experience what happens around here and you walk away thinking, they don't need me. They don't need me. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, people walk in here, and if you're like me, you pull up on Sunday morning, and there's, there's, there's people out on the parking lot, and they're telling you which parking lot to go to. Don't park in Donald Duck, park in Mickey Mouse over here. And, and, and you're irritated because you really want to park in Donald Buck, Duck, but they, they put you in, in Mickey Mouse, and you try to be godly about it and just wave and keep on going. And, and so you park, and then you get on the tram. And if you're like me, your kids have to ride the tram because, again, it's like going to Disneyland. And so they get on the tram, and they ride the tram, and they're all excited about the tram. They stop. You get off of the tram, and someone greets you right there. Hey, thank you so much for riding the tram today. We're so glad you're here. And you walk around the beginning, you know, the front of the building, and someone greets you there as well and says, we're really glad you're here. And then you take your kids, and you take them over to this kiosk thing, and they slap a little sticker on the back of them, slap a little sticker on the back of the other one, and you put them in their classrooms, and they say, thank you. We're so glad you're here today. And you go over to the, to the cafe and you grab a latte and, and you're all juiced and ready to go. And you walk in here and you're greeted yet again. And they give you a, a, like a bulletin, right, with all the stuff that's going on around here. And you come in here and you grab a seat in a comfortable place. And, and the, the band comes up here. And, dude, Brian and the band are stellar. I mean, they just do a great, yeah. They do a great job leading us in worship. And there's all these screens and media and teaching. And you leave and you're like, dude. Church was awesome today. Wasn't that so cool? They don't need me. Because I came and I experienced everything, and all I did was just come and sit in a chair and leave, but they don't really need me. Nothing can be further from the truth. Not only do we need you, but to pull off what happens here at Cornerstone, there needs to be an army, a sea of people using their abilities and bringing those abilities to the table and being the church to one another. And in a place like Cornerstone, there are unique opportunities, so there's more opportunities to use your unique abilities in ministry here. And if you look at your bulletin, you're going to find a whole grocery list of stuff that you can be involved with. In fact, there's a trip that's getting ready to leave this week over to Africa and, and go to Africa for a couple of weeks. And, and, and you can get involved in children's ministry and serve in children's ministry if you like children. I have three of them and I like mine. 
I just don't like yours. <laughs> Kidding, sort of. I like teenagers. Uh, so fifth and sixth, they just got back from camp. Junior high just got back from camp. High school just got back from camp. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of places that you can get involved in men's ministry, women's, and small groups. And I'm, I'm telling you, dude, if you look on the internet, the grocery list goes on and on and on. And you're sitting there thinking, well, hold, 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 hold on. I don't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a builder. I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. If you are, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just... I just do this. This is what I'm good at. These are what my abilities are. How can God use that at church? Can God use that at church? And there's someone in this room right now, there's something in your heart, and there's something you're deeply passionate about, and there's something that God's given you the abilities to do really, really well. And you're afraid to say that out loud because it doesn't sound like going to Africa, and it doesn't sound like leading a Bible study. In fact, it, it doesn't really sound very godly at all. But if the truth be known and we could peek into your heart, what we would find is your heart just saying, I really, 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 really want to have my own brand of ice cream. I brought ice cream. Who wants some? I'm serious. Do you want ice cream? Do you, hey, here's, here, here's two little kids right down here in the front. I tell you what, guys, here you go. Ready? You can come. I'll tell you, I'll put it right there. If I throw it at you, I might hit you in the eye, and then your parents will be mad at me. And Totally, you can come get it. I promise. It's... It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. They ran quick. No, 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 seriously, I got ice cream. Who wants ice cream? All right, a couple over here. There's some over here. There's some more over here. There's some back here. Okay, I'll tell you what, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not a great shot. Um, I'm no Tim Tebow, so, although I like the Florida Gators. Over here. Oh. Oh, they hit him in his head. Oh, over there and over here. If it pokes your eye out, complain to the people in the back. We do have insurance. Okay. It's like a fly ball in baseball. You know, if it hits the ground, they're like wrestling over it. There's a couple of more right here. Yeah, and then for you too, and for you too. I almost got it to him. All right, there we go. All right. I'm a mint chocolate chip guy myself. I don't know about you. I don't know. Paul, we're talking about Bible study and God and missions. And your friends are talking about starting Bible studies at Intel because they want to reach their friends at Intel with the gospel. So they've got this design of, of, of reaching all their employees by having this Bible study at lunch. And some of you guys are actually reading in the bulletin. Some of you guys are actually reading in the bulletin. There's a little flyer in there today about trips coming up to Mexico this fall. And you're like, all right, ma'am, I'm doing it. I'm for sure doing it. This year, I'm going to stop coming to church. I'm going to start being at church. I'm going to Mexico with Mexico Caravan Ministries and our mission trip there. And I'm definitely doing it. And, and, and there's some of you in this room, it gets around to you. And you're thinking, oh, I'm just still praying about it. Because the truth be known... You're not going to say out loud, man, I'm thinking high-end niche ice cream boutique up in Scottsdale. We're talking about reaching the planet with the gospel. We're talking about a movement, and you're talking about ice cream? Don't hurt yourself, man. 
Don't go on too far of a limb out there for God. There's something in the scripture that's going to help you a little bit. Go ahead and open your Bible up to Colossians. Mm. One last bite. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. I think this will help a little bit in this conversation. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. By the way, can I just ask a question? How many of you guys like ice cream? How many of you guys have some in your freezer at home right now? Someone's got to make it. Someone's got to sell it. Some of us are going to save up our money and buy it and eat it. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, this is going to help a little bit. He says this. Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he says, And whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, and in case you didn't hear it the first time, he says it a second time, whether it's in word or in deed, that includes pretty much everybody in this room right now. We're talking about everybody. Whatever you do, whether you're a plumber or a lawyer, God help you, whatever you do, everybody is in at this moment, okay? It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. doesn't matter if, you, if you're a principal. You're a builder. Some of you guys are builders and you love building houses and the housing market right now is in a slump and you are bummed. You are absolutely bummed out because you love building houses. You come to church and you hear about God and you hear about how you can get involved and you don't like kids either. And all you want to do is build houses, lots of them, like master planned communities with like swimming pools and splash pads and, and, and swings and parks for kids. And, and, and like you think about like the way the roads should go and, and what kind of lamp posts should be in there. And you think about what the houses should look like. And you, you think about the landscaping. And I, I, I think building, and I think building master plans communities falls into whatever. Whatever you do, in word or in deed. If you're just a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't make any sense to me that anybody would ever say that. My wife and I, we've been married 12 years, and just this year, we're, we're making some decisions about trying to figure out how to get uh, Lisa to stay at home with the kids, and so she's, she's making that move, and we got a little four-year-old and a three-year-old and, and, a, and a three-month-old. We kind of waited later to have babies and everything, and so we got all these little munchkins running around the house, and, and I'm telling you, there is not enough money on the planet to pay me to do what she does. There's not. Ladies, if you're a stay-at-home man, mom, God bless you. You've got abilities I don't have. <laughs> like patience. I know that's supposed to be a fruit of the Spirit, but there's moments I don't feel very godly. If you're a parent, you probably don't either. Let's be honest. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, the next thing he says is, do it all. Do it all. If, if you're going to be a plumber, you be the best plumber you can be. If you're going to be a, a bug exterminator, you kill as many cockroaches in the name of the Lord Jesus as you can. <laughs> and you know, you, you know cock, the only reason cockroaches exist is because of the fall anyways. You know, Adam's sin. So the, all those bugs are saying, I don't want to be a bug, you know. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer you can be. You argue as best as you can. You build compelling arguments. If, whatever you do, do it all 
And this is the next phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is where it gets hard. Because how do I do my high-end niche ice cream boutique in Scottsdale in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I, can I do that for Jesus? What would Jesus do? He'd, ice, he'd eat ice cream. I, I don't think it means this. I don't think it means that your ice cream boutique needs to be called Heavenly Hash. I don't think that it means that on the bottom of every carton of ice cream, of your like it, love it, gotta have it thing, I don't think it means that at the bottom of it is, there's a little scripture verse. I don't think it means that you gotta have somebody at the door who's 78 years old passing out stickers that say, smile, God loves you to everybody. I don't think it means, I don't think it means that on the receipt there needs to be like a watermark or some kind of subliminal message about, hey, we prayed over every chocolate chip before we put it in the ice cream. I don't think that's what that means. I think what it does mean is this, is that if you're going to make ice cream, you're going to have a boutique, niche, upscale ice cream shop in Scottsdale, you make the very best ice cream you can make. You make the very best. You go to culinary school, and you learn to make the very best ice cream you can make. You get recipes, you go to the dairy farmers, and you say, that cow right there, baby, that's where I want my cream coming from. You know, you go to the cocoa farmers, and you find out, these are where I want my cocoa beans coming from. And we're not going to make little baby chinchy chocolate chip shavings. We're going to spread it out, and we're going to make a big plate of chocolate, and we're going to crunch it up, and we're going to put, like, big hunks of chocolate in our ice cream. You, you, man, you do the very, very, very best that you can do. You work hard. And let's just say, let's just say that you make it. Let's just say you get your upscale boutique ice cream store in Scottsdale. And let's say for a minute you start making money. I mean, serious money. People like your ice cream, and they want to franchise this bad boy, and they want it to go worldwide because you make really, really, really good ice cream, and you start making serious money. What are you going to do with that money? Well, I'm going to do what everybody does who's got a great idea. I'm going to cash in on it. I am going to pile it up. I told you i got a four-year-old and a three-year-old, Kennedy and Mia. They make piles. They wreck the house at moments. But they make these piles, and they'll, they'll like, take all the cushions off of all the couches in the house, and they'll take all the throw blankets off all the you know, couches in the house, and they'll take all of their toys out of their closet, and they make a huge pile. They call it a castle. It doesn't look like a castle, but that's what it is. And, and it's huge over here, and then Kennedy, she does hers over here, and every once in a while, the, the, the piles get a little too big, and it's kind of like a, a volcano. It, it starts trickling down like this, and eventually the two piles touch, and when it touches, that's when it's on, baby. You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, words like mine start coming out. And like little kids have like indentions of Fisher Price on their forehead, just like, you know, like that. You know, you kind of expect that from a three-year-old or four-year-old, right? Where along the way did we forget to grow up? Where along the way we reached quote-unquote maturity in adulthood did we decide I'm going to stop piling up things for me? Where did we miss that? 
Because most of us, we start making money on this ice cream idea, and, and, and we start banking this stuff. What are we going to do? Man, we're going to buy that house. Man, I want that house so all my kids can have their own room. Oh, and we got to have a playroom. Oh, and that flat screen, I know it's only $2,300, but let's get a bigger one. Let's do a projection TV. And, and, and that $300 pair of jeans, I've always wanted. I can get them now because they make me, you know, look so good. And, and then the $800 pair of sunglasses, I can get those now. And that sweet ride I've always wanted so when I pull up to church, everybody can see me and envy me and, Where's God in that? I don't think he is. What if, what if you decided out of the proceeds of everything I make on my ice cream boutique up in Scottsdale that you were going to set a portion of it aside and you were going to invest it in the kingdom at Cornerstone? because your heart was at Cornerstone and because your heart was there and you believed in the mission of it and you loved what God was doing because your heart was there, that's where your treasure would be too. And what if you decided this Africa trip was coming up and you said, you know what, I, I can fund that. I can bankroll that Africa trip. What if you decided to invest your money there? And what if, what if another step, what if you decide, you know what, I'm actually going to go to Africa. I'm actually going to go to Kenya and work at this orphanage. And you get off the plane, and you get off the plane, and you're like, hey, I'm the ice cream guy. And there's all these little boys and girls running around, and they're like, we don't really care about your ice cream. Do you have some bread? Can you help us put a roof over our heads? Can you hold me and sing to me? Can you love me? Because when I was six months old, my parents left me in a ditch, and I don't have anybody, and I'm not sure anybody really loves me. And what if you said, Okay. I can do that. And what if because of your heart for the kingdom, you invested a portion of that at Cornerstone? And Cornerstone developed this relationship with this orphanage over in Kenya. And these kids, not only did they start getting all the things we've just talked about, a place to live and people to love them and food in their bellies and clean drinking water, what if they got the most important thing you can ever give another human being during your lifetime on this planet, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that Jesus Christ is the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. And what if these kids started getting dropped down, radically saved? I mean, like, life totally changed, adopted into the family of God. And one day you find yourself in heaven, and it's a party. And there's these kids, these people, who grew up in Kenya, whose moms and dads abandoned them at six months in a ditch somewhere. And somehow they made their way to this orphanage that had a partnership with this church in the hottest city on the planet. Called Cornerstone. And there was this guy who went to Cornerstone who had a high-end niche boutique ice cream store who loved the kingdom of God and invested in the kingdom of God. And they came up to you and they said, are you the ice cream guy? And you say, yeah, I'm the ice cream guy. And they say, thank you, thank you. Because of your ice cream, I got to come to the party. In that moment, you made ice cream in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how else do you do it? I think you run a fair business. You treat your employees fairly and generously if possible. 
You treat every vendor, every dairy farmer, every cocoa bean grower, everywhere you get your supplies, all the people you franchise out to, you treat them as if you were treating the Lord Jesus Christ that way. Every customer. And when you gain influence, you leverage it. And you'll get influence because you're the ice cream guy. And you start telling people about your story, about how you met Jesus Christ and the difference he's made in your life. And you tell people about the ice cream story and how God made all of this possible. And you introduce them to your very best friend, Jesus. And they'll listen to you because you're the ice cream guy. You see, I think that's what's going to win this planet. Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a little bit left of Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4. See, that's what's going to win the world. I, listen, I don't believe that it's going to be pastors and preachers and guys like me who win this world for Jesus Christ. And I'm about to tell you why. Ephesians chapter 4, we alluded to this last week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, he's the one who gave these gifts to the church. Who? God gave these gifts. What are the gifts? We're about to read about them. Who did he give them to? The church. By the way, any idea who the church is? It's you. You're the church. Do you believe and do you recognize, do you understand that in these scriptures, when it talks about the body of Christ, it's talking about you. And as you go spiritually, so goes the direction of this church. Because you are the church. Read it. It's in there. I'm not making it up. Ephesians chapter 4. He's the one who gave these gifts to the church. The gifts are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility, in verse 12, you're about to get the job description of every pastor and every ministry staff person on staff at Cornerstone. This is our biblically God-ordained job description right here, what we're all supposed to be doing as far as the staff at Cornerstone. This is it right here. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, comma, the body of Christ. There it is. You could put it this way. The job of every ministry staff person here at Cornerstone is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. To equip and encourage and prod and love and inspire you to not just come to church, but be the church. You see, I don't, I don't have that many conversations with dairy farmers. I don't have many conversations with guys in Scottsdale who own retail space where I can do a high-end niche ice cream place. I don't have that many conversations with customers coming in to buy ice cream. But you know what who does? You do. And when you learn to stop just coming to church, but start being the church to one another, and to everybody outside these doors that you bump into and live with and talk with and play with every single week, that's when there's power and influence and momentum. And that's when the church begins to become what God dreamt for it to be. What would, guys, what would happen? What would happen if we stopped using the, our God-given abilities for us to pile up stuff for us and to build our kingdom and get our stuff. And what if we used our God-given abilities to build his kingdom? 
What if we brought our God-given abilities to church at Cornerstone where we, where we love and, and engage with other people who are like-minded and like-hearted and we're being the body? What if we used our abilities here? What would Cornerstone look like? Dude, you could not build a building big enough. And you guys get it's not about building a big building. You know what it's about? It's about reaching the planet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you could not keep people away from Jesus Christ if we just stopped coming to church and started being the church to one another. And you're saying, oh, but God could never use me. I just work at an ice cream store. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a teacher. You guys realize that God has uniquely wired you and designed you with abilities that I do not have and given you influence with people that I will never meet to build up his body, to not just come to church, but be the church. And he says, no matter what it is, he doesn't say, wait, 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 you're going to do what? You're going to do ice cream? No, he just says, whatever you do, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you cannot figure, if you're trying to make a decision about something going on in your life, you've got some habit and you've got something going on over here in your life, and you can't figure out how to make it go for the Lord, if you can't figure out how to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, guess what? Don't do it. It's not that complicated. Don't do it. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee that if we start to become that kind of community, that we will realize before our eyes and in us the dream that God's dreamt for us for a long time, that this church would become exactly what God has in his heart for us to be. Let's pray. Father God, would you forgive us for using abilities that you gave us for us? you forgive us for not using those abilities to invest in your kingdom? God, would you motivate, convict, inspire, and encourage your church to be the church? That God, somehow, some way, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that a community of people in Chandler, Arizona, would stop just coming to church and start being the church in one another's lives and their surrounding community. Lord, that your name would be absolutely famous and that one day in heaven there'd be this huge crowd and it'd be because men and women and boys and girls in Chandler, Arizona invested their abilities in your kingdom. God, let that happen here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.